Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter uh, from Ridgeview Church. My name is Alex Barrett, and I am the, the lead pastor here. And we're so glad that you have decided to join us on this Easter Sunday. Uh, we hope that this next 45 minutes to an hour of your life will be a blessing to you, that you'll be encouraged, that you'll get a sense of next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. Uh, here at Ridgeview Church, we are a new church that got started in North Fontana. We're currently doing online services and meeting at a park in Rancho. Uh, we've been very excited about what God's been doing. We just got started in June and August of 2018. People moved here to help start this church. I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I've been married to my wife, Samantha, for almost 19 years, and we have uh, three kids, Katie, Levi, and Jude. You can see a, a picture of our family, and we are so thrilled of what God's doing in our church, and we're really glad that you've decided to join us today. Uh, we are launching a brand new series called This Changes Everything, and today we're talking about how Easter and what it represents really can change everything in our life, from our outlook to our plans to really where we're headed. Now, the word change is very interesting because one thing that we see that's happened in our world really in the last year is so much change from this global pandemic to cultural changes to our country changing. There's been so much external change that it can be overwhelming. In fact, there's been a lot of studies just on the impact of this past year and year and a half on people's lives. Because of the sheltering at home and the isolation, because of the rapid change and things just being so new to people, not knowing what to do, it's really led to a great impact uh, for adults across our country, for young people. And I recently came across some research that looked at just the rise in anxiety and depression. And I want to share this uh, not as a way of giving you gloom and doom this early on uh, Easter Sunday, but to give you a sense of uh, really, there, there's a lot of things that are burdening uh, us, and you may relate to some of this, but a study uh, from KFL Health uh, Tracking, they surveyed many adults, and you'll see a graphic on the screen there, just the average share of adults that are reporting symptoms of anxiety order from January through June of 2019 to January of 2021, you can see there's a rise from 11% to over 41%, a rise of 30% that people have just battled anxiety and depression in brand new ways. There's also the same study, research different age groups, and you can see the next graphic there, how the younger you are, uh, the more that you are battling uh, just the change in our culture, the change uh, in our world, and all these pressures and all these things externally, which impact us internally. And so for this series, we're going to talk about what do we do when we face this change? And what do we do when we feel like we're not exactly sure how to move forward in life? There could be things that you're facing in your life right now, in your family, in your job, related to your finances, where you're, you're struggling, you feel overwhelmed. So how do you change personally? And then there may be some things as you look at where your kids are and what they're facing and all the things that they're dealing with in their lives you may be concerned for just the change that they're experiencing. So while we focus on so much of the external change, this series is how do we change internally? And that is actually what Easter is about. The research has shown that everyone is trying to figure out how to cope with this change and they, they choose different things. Substance abuse is on the rise and again, anxiety, 
depression, isolation, uh, just that feeling of like we want to control things, but we can't. And the more we're trying to control, things spin out of control. And so in the middle of all this, God is good and he is real and he's present in our world. And he actually wants to meet us here today, right now, to help us, to give us a sense of how do we move forward in life, no matter where we are. The reality is all of us, people everywhere, are looking for meaning. We all want a sense of why we're here. We all want a sense of how to make the most of this life, like purpose and meaning and where we're headed. What's interesting in our culture is people are actually growing more atheistic. There's a sense of like we want meaning, but we don't really want to look to God for that meaning. Here at Ridgeview Church, we're here to really impact people through the refreshing life found in Jesus. And so we believe that the way to really change, the way to really make progress is not going around God or running from God. It's actually running to him. And we believe that Easter is the perfect time to make that choice, maybe from running away, running against, doing our own thing, to actually returning to God. And so while we keep looking for meaning everywhere outside of God, we still long for that purpose because we haven't found it. The good news with God, he's very patient with us, and he's just waiting for us to turn to him. So as we talk about how Easter changes everything, it begins with this kind of sense that, you know what? We've all been looking at various places and different people and different organizations maybe to give us help and hope and purpose, whether it's in our government or our family or in our culture, society, media, celebrities, whatever it is. But it's actually only in God that we can find the help and the really defining of our purpose in life. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in this series. Easter is a time where the Christian church and churches all around the world are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as we're talking about the need for internal change in the middle of external change, it actually begins with this idea of what about Jesus and the resurrection? Again, as you run towards God, you find that he has a plan for our lives. And the resurrection is compelling evidence that God is real and that Jesus is God. And as we all look for hope, as we all look for meaning, as we all look to gain traction, the resurrection is the hope that actual change can be found. I want to focus on a scripture that was written in the New Testament in the first century. It was written by a man named Paul who was an actual opponent of Christianity, and he was a part of really kind of trying to squash the Christian movement after it was getting started, after Jesus had come and lived his life and ministry, and as he was crucified on the cross, and as he was buried and rose again, his followers began to start churches and to begin to proclaim the hope found in this risen Savior. And Paul uh, was not a fan. He was kind of a Jew of all the Jews. He wanted to squelch this Christian movement. But God got a hold of his life and basically said that you need to follow me. You're running again from me, but you need to run towards me. And his life was changed. And so in the New Testament, there's so many letters written by Paul because he started so many churches. He was this apostle that went from city to city to really get the Christian movement started in the first century in the middle of the Mediterranean. The reason I bring that up is it's very interesting. As we talk about change, Paul himself experienced this. And he's writing to a church that he helped started in the city of Corinth. And he wrote two letters to them in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. But check out his account. In the middle of all that he experienced in his life and all that they were facing in the first century, tremendous pressure, lots of change like we experience now, listen to what he says about what life 
is really about. This is 1 Corinthians 15. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, what Paul's just mentioned is really the heart of the gospel message that uh, we are in sin, but then God sent Jesus to die for us. But he didn't just die. He, he was put in the tomb, but he didn't just stay there either. He actually rose again. So in those first few verses, you see kind of the central core of what Easter is all about. There's this man who was fully man and fully God who came to this earth. And he actually died because God loved us so much to send him to die for our sin. And then the passage goes on about the evidence. And then it says in verse 5, And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Cephas here is Peter. That was the new name that that God uh, gave him. But Cephas is like this word, the rock, the rock in which the church would be built through Peter. And then verse 6, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So it's interesting. Paul starts with, I want to tell you what is the most important. I want you to pay attention. I want you to stop and I want you to listen. And it begins with Christ died for our sins. Now, sin is not a word that we use a lot today. It means really missing the mark. It's ever doing anything wrong. I think all of us could admit that we have sinned. We've messed up. We've lied. Uh, We've not kept our word. We've been angry. We've been harsh. We've broken the law in different ways through speeding and all all of these lead to to sin. We, We all would agree with that. But in the scriptures, check out these accounts also written by Paul to the church in Rome, in Romans. And he describes this, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin entered our world through Adam and Eve in the creation account. In the beginning, they decided, although they were given tremendous freedom and tremendous blessing, they decided to do the one thing that God commanded them not to do. And that was to eat off this tree. And out of all that he'd given them, they wanted the one thing that he said they could not have. That represents, I think, our sinful hearts, this urge to kind of be our own boss, to do what we think is best. Adam and Eve did this. Through this, the whole world has been cursed. And we experience all those things that I mentioned, the hard things, that actually is rooted in sin, the brokenness of our world, the fact that we live here, and as we want things to come together, it always seems like it's unraveling. And so what Paul says is, you know, the wages... Of this sin is death. He says that in Romans 6.23. So we've all sinned. We fall short of his glory. But then the wages of that sin is death, meaning that we are actually eternally separated from God. He loved us. He's made us. He wants to have a relationship with us. But we rebel against him. And that's what the Bible calls sin. Again, it's that idea we're going away from God instead of to him. That separates us from God here and now into eternity. Again, we don't talk about sin a lot. We don't talk about eternity a lot either. But eternity is actually represented away from God as as hell. If you're separated from God forever, that's what hell is. It's not just a condition. It's a place of eternal existence. But the good news is, the verse continues in verse 23. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what Paul is saying is, I'm explaining to you what's the most important, that Christ Jesus died for our sins. Why is that important? Well, because we've all sinned. 
And then why does that matter? Well, our sin leads to eternal death, leads to brokenness, it leads to separation. Well, what do we do? Well, we can turn to Jesus for help and we can experience the free gift of eternal life through him. Now, that goes back to this passage in 1 Corinthians. You'll see it there on the screen. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised. And then in verse 5, you see again, he appeared to Cephas and he appeared to these people. Now, this is important. Paul is describing what's the most important, that we're sinners but yet can be saved. So even though we deserve death, Jesus came to die for our sins. And he rose again to conquer death so that we could experience new life in him. And that is what Paul says is the most important thing. So this idea of change can be found because of what Jesus has done. But notice that he also points to the fact that there's people, real people, that saw the resurrection of Jesus. And because of what they had seen and because of what they had heard, they'd given their whole life to follow him. I mentioned Cephas. Here's a picture of him from the crowdfunded show, The Chosen. If you haven't seen this, uh, season two is actually launching uh, today on Easter. And season one is the account, the beginning account of Jesus in his ministry. And it's so well done. But here's a picture of Peter uh, from uh, this show. And Peter, again, was a disciple of Christ. But when Jesus was kind of under that crucifixion and being taken away, he, he denied Christ. He, he ran from him. And that's to show that we're, we're all in danger. We, we all go astray. But he was forgiven. He found the forgiveness in Christ. And he became somebody like the, the word of his name, that the rock that the, the church was built upon the movement that he helped start in Christianity. So we mentioned Peter. He, he saw Jesus with his own eyes. Then the end of the list is James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, it's really interesting to think he's his brother. So James actually grew up with Jesus. Now, if you could imagine a sibling telling you that they're the son of God and that they would be dying for the world's sins, could you imagine what you would say? Like, uh, you know, spare us the, the details, putting your, yourself in this position. But I also believe James had a front row seat to who Jesus was. He saw him. He knew his life. And it's very interesting because James saw his life saw his crucifixion, saw his burial, and saw his resurrection. And Jesus, and Jesus himself, through his example and what he did, made a profound difference, even on his brother. And James followed him, and he decided to be a part of this early movement of Christianity. He was actually stoned to death. So if you could imagine, these people saw the resurrection, and their lives were actually taken from them. The reason I bring this up is we're not just talking about like a myth or, or like an interesting Easter story. If this is true and Jesus really did come to die for our sins, to pay that penalty of the death that we all deserve, and the people saw it and they didn't run, they, they actually turned to God and, and began to just share this news, they give their life to this. That is compelling evidence that God is real, the resurrection happened, and that Jesus is who he said he was. Now, where does that leave us Today, well, I want to talk a little bit about what it means when we decide to follow Jesus, just like Peter did, just like James did, and hundreds in the beginning, and now millions, and now we stand here in Southern California, in the Inland Empire, because of those people who've continued to share the message of Jesus. Well, what does it mean to really embrace this thing, which Paul describes as being the utmost important thing, 
the essential. And how does that change our life? I want to just give you a sense also from the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome in Romans of what this means. So when I yield my life to follow Christ, a few things happen. The first is I find freedom from guilt and shame. I don't know about you, but I struggle with being guilty and feeling shame. There's things I look back on my life that I'd just rather forget, but they just can be nagging. There's things that weigh on us because of what we've done or what's been done to us. And those burdens, when we try to carry them by ourselves, they crush us. It's like they, they break us internally. But notice what the scriptures say in Romans chapter 8. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the therefore means because of what Jesus did to die for our sin, to pay the penalty. We don't have to be condemned by it. Why? Because Jesus took that condemnation on himself. The word condemnation is to judge someone guilty. But when you turn to Jesus and decide to follow him, you're actually moved from someone who's guilty and you're declared not guilty. Even though we are, it's like that verdict is removed from us, expunged from our record. Why? Because Jesus himself took the guilt, even though he didn't deserve it because he was perfect. He didn't sin at all, but he took it. And he has forgiven us. And that shame and condemnation that we can just be so labored by, we can actually release. Now, again, this takes time. There's things that we've done that we have to face regret sometimes for the rest of our life. That's a reality of, again, the brokenness of our world. But that doesn't have to define us. We can be free from guilt and shame. Now, if you can be free from guilt and shame, would that change your life? I know in my own life, it's changed me. Because guilt and shame, if they define me, then I'm very limited on who I see myself as. I'm limited on what I'll do. I'll keep hitting that wall of my shortcomings. I'll keep hitting that that wall of, of my regret. But if there's no condemnation, there's freedom now. And that is so appealing. And that really makes life different. That changes everything. A second thing when you yield your life to Christ is this, is that you can have a hopeful future. You don't have to look at the future uh, with just these grim eyes. There's a sense of which there, there can be real hope. In verses 22 and 23, Paul describes kind of the brokenness of the world. We've touched on that. And it's talking about the, the groaning, like all creation, like it's just groaning, like there's got to be more. This is not it. And, and that's really life on this earth without God. There's a sense in which we can keep striving through our independence, our individualism, through materialism, trying to find meaning on the media, social media. Like we can think this will give us what we long for, but it doesn't. We still come up empty. And Paul describes that groaning, just like, oh, life is empty. But then he goes on and he talks about hope that's found not in this world. There's a hope that's found when you decide to follow Christ that you're not extended into eternity through that gift that he's given that we've already mentioned. And this is what Paul says. For in this hope, we were saved. Again, the hope that redemption is found. The guiltiness has been removed. That hope, we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So the hopeful future 
is that God is gonna be working things out in my life here and now on this earth. But it's even bigger than that. My hope and my future is tethered to eternity, forever with God. And if this life comes up empty, which it will, and if this life just kind of is lacking on everything I'd hoped for, which it is, we're not tethered here. Our anchor's not here. We're tethered into eternity. And that gives us a great hopeful future. Now, it doesn't end there. Not only can we be free from guilt and shame because of what Jesus has done through the resurrection, not only can we have a hopeful future because of the eternal life that he's given us, but we can actually begin to see life differently. And this is where it's very important because we've been talking a little bit about eternity and the future, but what about here and now? If you're like me, it's like, well, what does this mean for me as I'm facing the burdens of my life right now? And that is a very important question. Well, check out this in Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So there's a sense of which God actually isn't in eternity and we're cut off from him. When you decide to follow Jesus, you yield your life. Yielding is this idea of like, I surrender. I go his way. I do things his way. I aim to follow his commands. I obey him. That's yielding. I give up my independence. I bow my knee to him. That's surrender. That's yielding. These, these, this is what the, the scriptures talk about. And then it says, and we know that God works the good for, for those that, that turn to him, for those that love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. So there's a sense of like he actually, in the things that you face, he sees it. He sees the troubles and the burdens. He sees the questions that you have, the concerns, the fears. He sees those times of just knowing that you don't have it together. And he's going to work together for your good. That actually helps us see life differently. Now, we want to spend, actually, this series on This Changes Everything. We want to talk about how this works specifically. How can we see life differently in numerous things? And so I want to give you a series preview of where we're going to be headed. And I invite you right now to decide to come back next week. Now, you can continue to watch with us online. Or you can join us at the park at Olive Grove Park in Rancho. But I encourage you, we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at how following Jesus helps us to see life differently. And here's where we're headed. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about how this changes happiness. Following Jesus changes our happiness. That is, our goals, our dreams, how we define the good life. The week after that, on the 18th, we're going to talk about how Christ can change. This changes our our disappointment uh, when things don't work out as we hoped. How does following Jesus and what he did for us, how does that change that? The week after that, on the 25th, this changes discouragement. I don't know about you, but I can get into discouragement so easily. This year, I face so many disappointments because of expectations I've had. And then so much discouragement because it just I'm ready for things to change that aren't changing, whether it's the things I want to see change in me or the world around me, and I just get so just burdened by things. But Following Jesus actually can change the reflexes we have. When I cannot move past hurt or move past myself, how does Jesus help me? And then we're going to finalize and kind of conclude this series on the 2nd of May talking about how Jesus and following him actually changes the very way that we do church, the very way that we relate, how we can relate and actually be known by others. Like we don't have to hide. That's what he wants to do in our community. 
Check out this passage as he continues, talking about the good that God does as we see life differently. Verse 31, it says, what then shall we say to these things? So all these things, we don't have to have guilt and shame. We don't have to just focus on getting the most out of this life because we're actually going into eternity. The fact that we can see life differently. And then he says, what can we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Here's the good news. No virus or disease, no economic downturn, no loneliness, no depression, no spiritual darkness can separate you or me from the love of God. I want to show you a a clip basically the, the message of Easter in the middle of what we face. And I hope this, this video, it's about five minutes, will, will help give you a sense of, well, what does this actually mean in, in the world that we live in right now? And at the end, there's a sense of like how you, you respond to that. And I, I encourage you, pay attention to that. Let's watch this together. How has COVID-19 impacted you? In the wake of the pandemic, many people are experiencing invisible but very real side effects. For some of us, it's a post-earthquake syndrome. Our sense of security has been shaken. Our jobs, finances, and safety are less stable than before. And amid the mess, we're looking for meaning and purpose. For others, it's the new claustrophobia. Our house seems smaller each day. With our family now together 24-7, we feel pressed between job responsibilities and relationship tensions. At times, sadness, anger, and fear close in around us. We feel trapped. The symptoms we are feeling are actually just the tip of the iceberg of our much larger need for rescue. We are adrift, cut off from the resources we need to experience meaning, purpose, love, and peace. We hope to hear the sound of a helicopter bringing a rescuer. Human beings weren't always in need of this rescue. God created the first man and woman to know him and to experience his friendship, care, and love. He showed them how to live so they could make choices that would lead to life in all its fullness. However, Adam and Eve rebelled against God's direction. They chose to do life their own way. And everyone since then chose life their own way, which is sin. As a result, we live in guilt and separation from God. The gap between us and God is too great. There are just not enough good deeds that we could do to restore the relationship. But out of his infinite and extreme love, God didn't let it end there. At an astounding cost to himself, he took the initiative and made a way for us to be rescued. About 2,000 years ago, God sent his son Jesus to earth to show us how to live God's way, how to find the meaning and purpose we've lost. Jesus took upon himself the sin and guilt of all mankind as he died a horrific death on the cross. His death paid our penalty, making a way for us to connect to God. Three days later, Jesus resurrected, came back to life, proving he is God. If we stop trying to live life our own way and commit to Jesus as Lord of our life, he provides everything we need to experience the truly full life now and eternal life with him forever. It's been almost 2,000 years since Jesus' resurrection. Since then, billions of people claim they have experienced the reality of Jesus rescuing them. They tell of a personal relationship with a loving God, strength and peace amidst turmoil, healing of inner hurt, 
and power and direction for navigating crisis. If you were in physical peril, just imagine how grateful you would be to be found by a strong and competent rescuer. The Bible describes Jesus as a rescuer, seeking us, coming to us individually, saying, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Accepting Jesus' rescue parallels physical rescue, which involves agreeing you need the rescue, believing the rescuer has the power to save you, and committing to do what your rescuer says. If you're ready to open the door to Jesus and accept his rescue, it is necessary to agree you have chosen to do life your own way and ask God for forgiveness. Believe Jesus came to earth and died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. Commit to accept Jesus' offer of rescue and respond to him for who he is, Lord, in charge of everything and your boss for how you live each day. If you're ready to accept Jesus' rescue, you can pray, talk to God, telling him something like this, Lord Jesus, I believe you are God. Thank you for dying for my sins so that I can be forgiven. I yield control of my life to you. Come into my life and make me into the person you want me to be. Thank you for giving me eternal life. I hope that that video was a help to you. As I watch that, I'm compelled to, to move forward, to keep asking questions and to really ask the question like, is this real? Is this rescue mission that God provides through Christ, is this real? And so I encourage you, you don't have to follow God blindly. You don't have to just think about this resurrection without using your mind. You can actually engage and God wants you to. We're actually commanded to love him with our mind. And so the way God's wired you and in, in your intelligence with your thoughts, like if you have questions and fears, you're normal. If you have concerns or doubts, you're normal. But don't allow those to kind of cause you to check out. Again, use those to, to take steps. And so I encourage you to investigate. A person that I really uh, encourage by and appreciate is, is Lee Strobel. And you may have heard of him if you've been a part of maybe some Christian uh, studies or circles, but... He's written some great books. He was an investigative journalist, and he decided to actually put his kind of journalism and the way he investigates whether a story is true to the actual resurrection of Jesus. And so if this is real, like if Jesus really did die for our sins, that he was buried, if he did really rise from the dead, like Paul says is the most important thing, well, how do we investigate that? Well, I want to show you another brief clip that Lee Strobel explains uh, four proofs of uh, the resurrection. And I hope this encourages you just to get a sense like, okay, that, that, that makes sense. Let's watch this together. I like to look at the evidence for the resurrection in four categories. The first one is, did Jesus die on the cross? Was he dead? Virtually every scholar on planet Earth concedes that Jesus was dead after crucifixion. We have no record of anyone anywhere ever surviving a full Roman crucifixion. Uh, even the Journal of the American Medical Association uh, published a peer-reviewed scientific medical study of the evidence for the death of Jesus and said clearly the weight of the evidence indicates that Jesus was dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. Even the atheist New Testament scholar Gerd Ludemann says historically it's indisputable that Jesus was dead. So Jesus was dead. 
The second category of evidence is the early accounts we have for the resurrection. In other words, I used to think as an atheist that the resurrection was a legend, and that took a long time to develop in the ancient world. But what I learned is that we have preserved for us a creed of the earliest Christian church, a creed that is a eyewitness-based report of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, this creed has been dated back by scholars to within months of the death of Jesus within months. That is historical gold. So we've got a newsflash from ancient history on the resurrection. Third category of evidence is the empty tomb. And the best evidence for that is even the opponents of Jesus implicitly admitted the tomb was empty. Because when the disciples began proclaiming that Jesus had risen, what the opponents said was, oh, well, um, the disciples stole the body. Now they're conceding the tomb's empty. They're just trying to explain how it got empty. So everybody's conceding the tomb was empty. How did it get empty is really the issue, and that goes to the fourth category of evidence, which is eyewitnesses. You know, for most of what we know about ancient history, it comes from one or maybe two sources of information. And yet, for the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus, we have no fewer than nine ancient sources, inside and outside the New Testament, confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the risen Christ. That is an avalanche of historical data. So you put all that together and you have a really good case for Easter. I think that's interesting. I hope, again, that that was a help. Now, we have a free gift that we'd like to give you today if if you'd like to investigate more. And Lee Strobel wrote a book called The Case for Easter. And we're giving these away at the park. Uh, But we also want these to be available to you online. And so on your, your connection card, as Joel mentioned for you to fill out, there's going to be a place where you can say, please send me the case for Easter, and, and we would love uh, to do that for you. And so let us know. If that can help you, kind of investigate, maybe get some of your, your questions answered. We want to be a church that, that helps you, that brings and welcomes people that maybe have questions, maybe have, have doubts. You, you are welcome here. As I conclude, I want to just give you uh, some next steps that you can take. If you're new to Ridgeview, you're thinking, well, what, what's the next step? Well, this is a way of, based on what I've heard, based on things that I've seen, and also maybe some things that God's doing in my heart. What is it that I need to do next? And so on your connection card, if you haven't yet filled that out, go ahead and click on that and you can mark a next step that you want to take. And as a staff, we have a prayer team. We we want to pray for you as you take this next step. And if you need information, we want to provide this uh, to you. So the first is just attend church and the picnic next week. If you're ready to, to meet in person, we encourage you to come to Olive Grove Park at 10 a.m. And we're going to have a picnic right after church. If you're still wanting to watch online, commit to, to watching at one of our three services online. But just take that next step. I'm going to come back. I encourage you to do that. The second next step is I want to become a follower of Christ for the first time. Maybe you've never done that. And as you watch that God's rescue mission, that there was something drawing you in. I encourage you, you can decide to follow Christ today. The Bible says like today is the day of salvation, meaning you don't have to wait. If you're ready to follow Jesus and you're ready to bow that knee like I talked about, you can do that right now. And so you mark that next step and we'll follow up with you. The final next step is this, and that is I want to attend a Discovering Faith lunch on May 2nd. Are you interested in in learning more and maybe hearing about how Jesus has made a difference in the lives of real people? It's one thing for me to tell you that, but how does this actually work in real life? And so I want to encourage you, we're going to have on May 2nd a Discovering Faith lunch. We'll have some people from Ridgeview. We'll provide lunch. It's free and child care if you need it. 
where they'll just share, this is the difference that Jesus made in my life. And then you'll hear, what does the Bible say is the definition of what makes a Christian a Christian? And so if you're not yet a follower of Christ and you're like investigating and this is interesting to you or compelling, sign up for that. And what you'll see is as we talk about what it means to be a Christian, it can be summarized by this, how to become a follower of Christ. First is I believe that Jesus is God. He died on the cross for my sins and he rose from the dead. The second is I admit that I'm a sinner. That's a part of becoming a Christian. The third is I agree to turn away from my sin and turn towards God. This is what the Bible calls repentance. You change roads, independence and rebellion back to God. And then the fourth is I'm ready to yield my life to follow Jesus as Lord. Like I'm turning to him and then I agree, he's gonna be my boss. I wanna do what he says. And the final, become a Christian means I accept God's free gift of eternal life today. It's a free gift that he's extended. And so wherever you are, I encourage you to take those next steps. So mark that on your connection card. Let us know how we can pray for you. And we hope to see you next week. In closing, and we're gonna show this again on the screen, but I want to just read this uh, together. Now together, you're not gonna be able to uh, hear everyone that's watching online, but I hope this is an encouragement to you to know that there's people around the world that are holding to this truth. And this just might be the hope that you need to cling to today. So this is Romans 8, 31 through 32. Let's read it out loud together right now. It says, what then shall we say? to these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Thank you for joining us on this Easter Sunday. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the precious gift of your son, Jesus, for the love that you extended to us by sending him to really pay the price for our own sin and our own rebellion. I pray if there's anyone watching today that's not yet decided to follow you, that you will draw their hearts to you, that they will take a next step and decide, I want to become a follower of Christ. God, I pray as we continue to talk about this series that you'll draw us back to learn about how we can really see life differently. So God, if there's just some barriers in our hearts or minds, if there's some things that are blocking us from taking those next steps, will you, will you show us right now that we ask for your power to be displayed in our lives that we can really see the difference that you can make. So we thank you for this day. I pray that everyone, as they're celebrating with family or as they're contemplating on their life and where they're headed, that they'll really be filled with the peace that only you can bring. In the name of the Son that you sent to us, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.